Friday the 13th, November 2015. It's Watt from Pedro's show.
back from Pedro show. Hey, everybody, I'm back from tour. Yeah, I did do a show in between the last two, the Cuz and Tab Falco. Anyway, start off the show with uh, Tad's Delight, John Coltrane with Miles Davis, and then Andy Moore, solo guitar in Paris, live. I don't know the title of that. Uh, I got to talk to Andy in between the Cuz and Tab Falco tours, October 7th, 2015, uh, via Skype. It was right before I went to, uh, where was it, just get home from Texas, from Austin. <laughs> Tomorrow I go play in Tacoma. It's been a lot of bouncing around for what? Not like it's the B-word burden, it's the O-word opportunity, believe me, people. But let's get in on this uh, interview with uh, Andy Moore, Dogface Hermans and the X. Incredible cat, incredible uh, musical story. Though not in real time, I did it like it was real time. Good man. Brother Andy Moore. Andy, what's yeah. your earliest music memory? My earliest music memory? Wow. Um, probably my mother singing opera at home because she was an opera singer. Ah, okay. Um, and she used to play this record, Madame Butterfly. Oh, yeah. Over and over again. And she always called me into the room at the moment when she's going to die and she said she would say listen to this bit listen to this bit and i was like very small and it just seemed very intense and heavy and sad and tragic How old i remember were you? i remember it really strong i must have been like three or four or something and where was this in london okay uh yeah three or four years old that's a kind of a big dose of drama to take i know i that's what i I thought so as well. I thought it was quite, and you know, not not exactly a light opera either. But um, oh, no. I, I never forgot it. So that I guess it had a good effect. It, it, it's it's a guy dressing as a woman, right? Yeah, that's it. And mistaken love. I I hardly I hardly followed the story. I'm not really into opera. <laughs> Strangely but, uh, enough. <laughs> okay, was she the only music one in the family? Um, pretty much. She was, she was really into music, actually. I mean, classical music. And so she was kind of happy when I started really playing seriously. Yeah, because so I was she wondering, was there instruments in the house? Piano. Piano. So, uh, yeah, she also, when she sang, she uh, played um, for Elisa and, you know, all these sort of classical pieces. And that was always there, really from the, so I, I was always playing the piano also. I was very young, and I always kept my foot on the the pedal that makes it sound like it has reverb. You know that? Yeah, right. I don't know what it's called. And she would always shout to me to take my foot off the pedal. <laughs> this your ma or the teacher? My mother. I I didn't have any lessons. Ah, oh, you were taught Luckily. by your ma. No, I just I just I just taught myself. I just went there and played. I wasn't. Um, okay, self taught. Yeah, yeah, and, and I wasn't teaching myself. I was just playing. It was for me. It was like fun, and it sounded great. It was like a toy. No, I mean so that's I, great. I mean, I've uh, had interviews with people who were forced to play piano as a kid with a mean teacher, and it turned them off big time. That's for sure. That, yeah, <laughs> I had that more at school with a violin. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to that. So yeah. you, you start oh, going to school, good. and they they uh, have a music option for you, huh? Well, it was obligatory. Oh, you had to play some kind of instrument. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Recorder and violin. Yeah. It's sort of torture. 
recorder, <laughs> like the, the kind of flute thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, what uh, and then, call, what do you call that in the states? Records. Yeah, Record, I think they're called recorders too. Uh, yeah, in in Holland they call it the block flute. Block flute. Which <laughs> uh, is what it does. It blocks you for life. Yeah, right, right. How how old were you, you when you had to do this uh, block flute and violin? <laughs> Uh, probably from the age of like six to ten or something, you know. Okay, I, so grade school. Yeah, okay. and then I was in the states. I, I lived in the states for a couple of years. What we moved part? to we to we moved to Minneapolis. Well, and, um, cold part. Sorry. A cold part in the winter. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Forty below there. But but it's a great place. I like uh, playing up there all the time. Well, man, yeah, there's even more cold right Duluth. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, Okay, so how long did you live there? Two years. Okay, so did you go to school like junior high or something? Yeah, yeah, that was that was quite hard actually, for me because I had a really strong English accent. Yeah. So I was the, I was a kind of target for um, guys Abuse. wanting to fight fight with me because they thought I had a kind of. They thought my accent was like really. Um, they thought it was English, firstly, which is weird, and they made fun of it. So I just ended up fighting a lot with kids. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> on, behalf it's all right. the, on behalf of the country, I apologize. I still love America. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so d did you do any playing there? Did, by this time, you were done with the violin and the block flute. Uh, I can't. I can't remember there being much music involved in my when I was in in uh, America. I think my mum was still. She gave up. She gave up uh, her opera singing career in England to move to the States to follow her husband, who was my stepfather. Okay. So that was that was that was kind of a shame that she gave that up because she didn't do it in the States. Damn. So, yeah, and basically, I didn't really stop playing music till like, we left the States and came back to live in England. Is this when you pick up the guitar? Yeah, and I actually, again, my mother was uh, instrumental because... Instrumental. I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Fundamental. Oh. Yeah. She had a, uh, acoustic, uh, a Spanish uh, classical guitar. Yeah, and she had, she had to, string. Yeah, and she had to give it up because she became an acupuncturist. And when you do acupuncture, you, you read people's uh, pulses to test their health. Yeah. So your fingertips have to be super sensitive. Oh, no calluses. So you can't play guitar anymore. So right. I said, "Can I have the? Can I have you, um, the guitar?" And she said, "Yeah." And th actually, that's really how I started. I just took it in my bedroom and just played it in my bedroom for a couple of years, just just playing chords and stuff. Again, like just uh, just taught myself and like played along to Led Zeppelin records. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did you try to copy songs off records? That's how me and sure. Boone learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mostly Led Zeppelin and uh, Jimi Hendrix, that kind of stuff. And this is back in England. And, yeah, back and, in England. I was about 15, maybe 15 or 16. So starting high school. Yeah. Now, do you remember your first band? Yeah. Uh, it, it was called Absolute Zero. Okay. I'm really ashamed because actually in that band I sang... <laughs> And I had an electric guitar, but I couldn't play it well enough yet, so I just held it on stage, but not plugged in. Ah, oh, so it's kind <laughs> of a, yeah, confidence thing. It was like a prop. <laughs> yeah, or what do they call it? We, we call them pacifiers. No, you call them dummies, right? 
when I look when I look back and I thought, wow, that was really I was really faking. In a way, I shouldn't have done it, but I I couldn't help it. I just couldn't play well. And the other guy was like super fancy playing all these terrible guitar solos. Okay. I couldn't pass stuff. So yeah, I learned but, that this summer that what we call a pacifier, you guys call a dummy to keep a kid from crying, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, I jumped ahead a little bit. So, so no, by the time you made a band, you had already got an electric guitar. I had an electric guitar, which I also played at home, and I just plugged it into my uh, stereo system. In your stereo, so you didn't really have an amp. No, okay. no, no. And no, then no. for stage, for the gigs, it was just a uh, yeah confidence thing. And this um, was like this was probably like 1976. It's 1977, just before. 76 just before. is when I graduated high school. Oh yeah, okay. We're probably not that far. Yeah, we're off pretty close. Huh? Uh, when you got this uh, Spanish guitar and then eventually electric guitar, d d did you start writing songs yet? No. Yeah. I, I, no, writing songs. I wouldn't say I was writing songs, but I made stuff up. Okay. I just made up my own um, guitar uh, ideas and stuff, and not not like melodies, just just chord things, like simple chord stuff. And I just played the same thing over and over for hours. It was really sometimes I would fall asleep with my chin on it, you know, you know that kind of thing where you just play for for hours. I still do that. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah, a tour can. coming up, and Taff Falco has me learning twenty five songs, and you I better. play with I yeah with the bass in my hands when I wake up. It's, it's sort of like reading, you know. I break so many pairs of glasses because I conk while I'm reading. <laughs> Luckily, the bass is a little stronger. Uh, okay, so absolute zero. Um, they do a lot of gigs. One. One. Okay. <laughs> One <gig> at school. <laughs> and it was at school. <laughs> what, like kind of a talent show or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't too serious. Okay. I mean, the first the first band that I felt that it was that I was in a serious band was the next band but all, that band also only did one one gig and it was called Suspect Device we named it after a stiff oh, little oh stiff finger little stuff. fingers yeah yeah and that was that was a great band but it was we only we, we only we only lasted one gig and then it was you know that it's that kind of thing where like it was the, the, the all the all the members were so different from each other there was no there was no kind of real connection and we put, wanted to play so many different kinds of music in the band that it didn't really um, work, but the, that one gig we played was great fun. And where was that? That was in a kind of youth club in London. Okay. In, uh, in Cripplewood. Cripplewood. Cripplewood <laughs> is an uh, Irish Catholic area in northwest London. Okay. Quite at that and what, time. They used to have like uh, youth centers where kids could hang out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was that was a place where they said, you know, you, we've got a little stage here, and you can do it for nothing, and you just don't charge anyone at the door. Okay, just do it for fun. Yeah, it's a great. Okay, so uh, where do you and go then, from where Where do you go from here? And actually, uh, do, do, did you use the guitar, or was it just a prop again? Then I used the guitar, and then I had a what did I have? Jesus, back then I had a Watkins amp Watkins. with a with a little copycat built into it. You know these uh, these Echo units, the Watkins yes. copycat. I had one of those, which I still have somewhere. And um, I can't remember what guitar I had then. But uh, but was it the next electric guitar? Yeah, but I, I really don't remember. Uh, um, what happened uh, to the first one? It's a good question. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to ask. 
but but from there, uh, is there a third band? Of course. Yeah, but the third band was really, um, that was when I I moved to Edinburgh. Right, Scotland. And yeah, in Scotland, and um, I met this guy Colin, um, who. I, I, who lives in Amsterdam still, and we still we're still very close friends, and we still do stuff together. Like, but that was like nineteen uh, eighty three or something. And he, I, I met him at a, um, uh, a sort of play. He was DJing, and he was playing amazing music, like music that I'd never heard before. And it was basically like James Brown, African music, Ornette Coleman. He was playing like a big mixture of stuff. And I said to him afterwards, what, what is all this stuff? I've never heard anything like it. So he just lent me about 50 records, and I spent the whole summer listening to all those records. So it was funk? No, no, it was more like a, it was it was a lot of different things. It was it, it, No, there was no funk in it. it was, well, James Brown, I guess that's more soul. There was a, a oh, old... You wouldn't, like, you wouldn't, really you wouldn't call James there. Brown... You wouldn't call James Brown funk, huh? No, I call him soul. <laughs> okay. The, over here, like they usually say, the first soul singer was a guy named Sam Cooke. Okay, yeah, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jim Brown, you know, he started as a drummer. So there's something about his music that's got that groove. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it was the really early James Brown. that I, I always connected more with uh, soul music. But in a way, it is. Yeah. It's, it, you're right, it's funk. Well, funk was a, you know, it was a trippy word. It meant kind of dirty, you know? Yeah. And so it got brought in. And, I, yeah, Mr. Clinton has probably made, uh, made the most hay out of it. But yeah, uh, I remember, because I grew up in Navy housing, you know, as a boy, and uh, other sailors' sons uh, turned me on to Jim Brown early. And they did call it soul. Yeah, did they? Well, yeah, in the they did call it soul. When he started, like it was. But you was... like, uh, like there's a there's a uh, song. I think it's the most sampled. Uh, what's what's his name? Uh, Clyde Stubblefield, funky drummer. Funky. Yeah. So maybe that word funky. funky. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, this is getting off the sidetrack. So so what you do, you start educating yourself to Jim Brown to this kind of uh, black U.S. music, right? Yeah, a lot of it was black music, also a lot of African music, like King Sonny Day and Fela Kuti. Oh, yeah. And in that way, I would say there's a big difference there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Although they're coming from the same place, uh, yeah. because the, they develop differently, they are, yeah, I would say uh, more minor, more bluesy kind of things with the U.S. one, and maybe a little more melodic with the African thing. Both really interesting musics. I mean... For somebody to, uh, yeah, get educated. I remember, yeah. uh, well, for me, learning about the bass, R&B was really, that's another thing you can call it. You can call it R&B, right? R&B, yeah, yeah, that's true. Because the, the, in the rock and roll, uh, especially with U.S. records, the, the lead, lead and rhythm guitars were too loud. I couldn't hear yeah. the bass lines too muddy. Not not so much with the bass players over where you are, you're at, though, because they mixed <laughs> them really loud. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a <laughs> uh, guy from uh, I think close Edinburgh, uh, Glasgow, Jack Bruce. Yeah, I learned a lot from him. I mean, on Cream Records, you could definitely hear the bass, but you yeah, could hear it also on the Animals and Kinks and yeah. uh, uh, the Who, of course. Like he's your Butler, uh, Trevor Boulder with uh, Bowie, and I, I learned a lot from those guys. But the R and B guys back home here with uh, James Jamerson and 
Larry Graham because of the structure of the music. The guitar was more clipped, more trebly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was more of a rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, very heavy on the rhythm. Really heavy on the rhythm. Uh, that's interesting. So, so what, what did you do with that when uh, after Colin lends you them records? Well, I just spent the whole summer listening to them. There was also the contortions in there, and I just thought, wow. James what Chance. Is yeah, the, yeah the, the, the record Bye. Which Bye, is I remember that. Wow. And um, That was really wild. Six. I got to see him. They came to the second mask in, up in Hollywood. And yeah. he was a, uh, did you ever see any of the gigs? He was pretty combative in those days. No, I, that, I was too young then. I okay. didn't, I, well, I didn't, I wasn't too young. I just didn't, I, did, they, I think by then they may have already even stopped. Oh, yeah. Talk. Okay. But um, I wish I had seen it because I thought it sounded great. It was really and, Well, amazing. that stuff was very influenced by Jim Brown, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then there was also a, a whole bunch of um, uh, jazz stuff that I loved that he played, especially Ornette Coleman. There's one record called Science Fiction. Oh, yeah. The first, the first time I heard that, I just thought it was a big mess. And I thought, nah, this isn't, this isn't <laughs> serious. But I just kept listening to it again and again. And eventually... It just, to me, it just sounded incredible. And when I hear it now, it sounds so structured and formed. But at the time, I thought it was complete and utter chaos. Wow. So th those records really, um, they completely changed my musical horizon. Before that, I was listening like to Talking Heads and a bit sort of new wave stuff. So okay. that was great. And then, and then, Colin, we said well, we should uh, try and um, play together. So we just started... I think the first time we just uh, we got a group of people that we knew together and, and went into a we found a, a rehearsal space in Edinburgh that you could rent from twelve midnight till four in the morning. Yeah, we call that downtime. <laughs> it's more it's more econo, right? It costs less money. It was very cheap. Yeah, because and, that's how we used to record on downtime. Same thing. Great, and and the greatest thing is after you've rehearsed like that in a room with no windows, and you go outside and it's just getting light. That is so it's so nice. That's really I have a really fun memory of that. And what did Colin play? Did he play guitar also? Well, we played everything at that time. Actually, Colin had a bass. He had a really nice jazz Fender jazz bass, and he had a and he had a, a really lovely Red Hofner Galaxy guitar. So they were both his instruments. He used yeah. to work in a bank, and he quit the bank. And with the money he got from that, he bought those two guitars and a record player and started listening to music. Wow. So, so those two guitars were like the guitars that were in the rehearsal room that you could pick up at any moment if you wanted. And there were two big oil barrels and a drum kit. And then we had a trumpet and a sax. So we oil just barrels? You mean kind of like Velvet Underground? Um, I don't know. You know, like the, th the big, the, the giant oil barrels that you bash with sticks and they're metal and they just make this kind of industrial sound. Yeah. <laughs> Scotty used one in the when the Stooges were called psycho, psychedelic Stooges. He told me oh, about playing oil barrels. Yeah. yeah, and it was great because it was just we were just playing rhythmic stuff. We we we'd listen to all this African music and all this jazz music. And we just thought, okay, we just play we play rhythms over and over again, and you play a very simple bass line on top. And slowly we figured that the songs where Colin played bass and where I played guitar worked the best. So that's how. We ended up with who our. Were, yeah, there were some more cats with you, right? Playing the drums and stuff. There was there was a drummer who was by far by by he was a drummer, so that that was easy for him to decide to stick to the drums. Yeah. And uh, then we had a saxophone and a trumpet, and the first band was called Volunteered Slavery, which was named <laughs> after 
it's named after an old Roland Kirk song. Right, and then, right, and, right. And then the singer and the saxophone player at a certain point left, split, and then we became Dogface Hermans. And that was the first band that, I mean, Volunteer Slavery, we, we started doing gigs. We played in um, in Edinburgh. We did a, a minus a minus track benefit and stuff. And then Dogface Hermans, we really started going going further, like going traveling around. Where did that name come from? Dogface Hermans. Um, it's a Frankenstein film where this woman, I think she was bitten by, um, no, she wasn't bitten by Frank. It was a sort of mixture of Frankenstein and Dracula or something. I don't know. The wolf she man? Was bit- <laughs> she was bitten by something. And she, she said that she dreamt that her husband, whose name was Herman, was running around with a, with a, with the face of a dog. And she said, I'm dreaming of dog face Hermans. And <laughs> I thought it was, we thought it was a great title. Wow. Very simple, but... Okay, and it was that, an old-timey movie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got to check that one out. I can't remember what it was called. I should ask Wilf, because the Wilf, the drummer, he's got a photographic memory of these things. He remembers everything. Okay, well, do you remember recording? What? This band records, right? Of course, yeah, there's Dog Foot Face Urban yeah, albums. Yeah, recorded... Uh, we recorded in Cambridge the first time in a studio, a friend of Wilf's. We recorded like four or five songs that were kind of half formed. We didn't have a clue what we were doing, but it was really exciting. Yeah, yeah. How was that? So it was exciting. It was, yeah, it was amazing. It was like, Not well, even the like, drummer had recorded? Uh, Will hadn't recorded before either? I think uh, only the drummer had recorded before. So okay. he, seemed, he, he seemed to quite know what was going on. But for us, it was uh, an adventure. And it, it was also difficult. It was like sometimes you, you did something, you played the guitar and you heard it back and you thought, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound anything like my guitar. And I had no idea how to explain to the guy to make it sound, you know, you know that, I mean, you, could, you must have had the same experience. In the sure, game. sure. And then there was, actually, it's funny because there was a moment when we were touring with Dogface Hermes where we met um, John Robb okay. in Manchester. And he said to us, have you ever heard the Minutemen? And none of us had heard the Minutemen. And he said, no, I don't believe it, because you guys sound like you've been listening to Minutemen records for like two years. And I said, <laughs> none, of us, none of us had ever, ever listened to a Minutemen record. Wow. So we went, we went and listened to them, and we were quite amazed, actually, because we heard a lot of stuff. That well, I got to tell you, really Andy, I mean, the Minutemen were influenced by a lot of bands from the movement there over there. Like, uh, exactly. yeah, pop group and Wire and The Fall and yeah. Alternative Television. And yeah, uh, you probably heard of some of them bands, right? <laughs> so you, I think both our bands were influenced by the same kind of people, yeah. maybe. I mean, The Fall, for me, The Fall is the band, the band that if, if, when, you, when you hear a band, you can hear whether, they've, whether they like The Fall or whether they don't like The Fall. Oh, yeah. That's, that's for me the dividing point of nearly any band, whether they've heard the fall or where, and whether they like it or not. For me, that, that band really, uh, I don't know, that really cuts. I also had that uh, band really, really early when I was like 17 or something. Total's Turns, the first record I heard of them. And I, I, was, I, I was amazed. I thought I'd never, I didn't know that you were allowed to put music like that on records. <laughs> it was, the guy just—it just seemed like completely shambolic and but but great. It sounded really threatening to me. Like after you listen to all this Led Zeppelin and super produced stuff, yeah, to yeah. hear to hear something so rough, it was yeah, really threatening. 
Especially Dragnet. And I really like Dragnet, yeah. but that thing sounded like it was recorded on one of them cassette machines where you press the buttons with your fingers. Yeah, yeah. Sounded like our practice tape, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a great album, though. Yeah, I even got it's... to see them. They came and played in 1981, I think, in uh, downtown wow, L.A. Great. with a band called Blurt. Yeah, yeah, I know Blurt, yeah. Okay. Great. Wow. And uh, the, That's great. The, the false singer wouldn't look at us. He looked at the kick drum the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still does that. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's why I think maybe Dogface Herman's and Minutemen sounded similar. We were both influenced by similar bands, I think. For sure, yeah. Also, the Slits and the Birthday Party were very... Important. Oh, yeah, we like those guys, too. Yeah, yeah. Big time. That's great. I got, that's, I got to see both of those bands. That's yeah, good. They, yeah, yeah. The, the Birthday Party at the Roxy and Slits at the Whiskey. The Slits didn't have... I think Budgie was on the record, but when I saw him, the drummer was the pop group guy, uh, Bruce Smith. Oh, right, okay. And then uh, at the Whiskey, they had Tracy Pugh on bass, but they didn't, Mick Harvey was on the drums, so they didn't have two guitars. It was just Roland Howard. But it was pretty amazing, both both gigs. Tracy Pugh and um, what was the name of the bass player from the Contortions? Uh, he had a George Scott the Third or something. He had a strange name. Oh, yeah. Those two bass players were, were probably the biggest, had the biggest um, impl- influence on me and Colin, like like musically playing. I mean, I, d- I didn't play bass, but when I heard the way they played bass, yeah. uh, for me it was really like a, a, a revelation. And really catchy bass lines as well. Sure, like sure, really yeah. Taught, not just like backing up or something, really pushing the song and actually create sometimes creating the song from the bass. Yeah, yeah. Um... Which is a really? big tradition in R and B. I was I was thinking of Mr. David Sims from uh, Jesus Lizard. He was kind of a student of Tracy. Oh yeah, style of playing. Uh, okay. Did you ever get to see the birthday party? Yeah, I saw them. I saw them once in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, did he have his cowboy hat on and the big grinding yeah. hips and yeah, yeah and, he was uh, quite, quite a guy to see perform. I loved it. Amazing. Yeah, and the problem was that people still in nineteen it was nineteen eighty three. Or eighty-two, maybe, and people were still spitting on the bands. <laughs> so as soon as they started, as soon as they started, they were covered in a shower of gold. Oh man! And I could see that Nick Cave really fucking hated that. I think he, <laughs> I've really had enough of this. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. And uh, Roland Howard wasn't in the best of shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were playing some new songs, and he just didn't know what he was doing. But as soon as they played a few older songs, he just he just became, he just transformed into this fucking amazing musician. So it seemed like that really triggered his muscle memory or something. I don't know. And it was great. He's really one of my favorite guitar players also. Yeah, yeah, incredible style. And he's, he's dearly missed. Thank you. 
Wad from Pedro Show. We had part one of our October 7, 2015 interview with Andy Moore. Uh, next couple hours, we'll have the next two parts. Uh, following Andy in his incredible uh, journey through music, hearing about it from him. We had uh, him and DJ Rupture doing something called Inja Kohas Inya Iran Ast Zazamina Manoto. Which is uh, some kind of art piece with an Iranian uh, artist. Uh, brand new from R04, Wave Transmission, the original mix. Glad to hear these guys back in action. Love them. Sea Flu Lilac, Black Mouth Super Rainbow, Mr. Thomas and Trippiness, Lester Bangs, Let It Blurt. I can't believe I've never heard this before. Brand new from Yoppers, Deacon Brody, and many birthdays with Black Mountain Blue Sea. Many birthdays on the roll uh, with new material. That was the last show I did. It was actually in Austin, Texas. It wasn't after the gigs. It was there at Many Birthday uh, Pad. Uh, JD and Sarah. whole band, in fact. That was neat getting to talk with them. And those gigs, too, that... Uh, Jeff Smith put together. It's been over 20 years, San Antonio. You know, in Tacoma, Tamara, it's over 20 years since I played there. I remember uh, it, was Edward, it was Edward and Georgie, and uh, I think the place was called New World Theater, something like that. And across, well, I remember most was across the street was some kind of gas station or maybe mechanic shed. Had a bunch of old 50s... Uh, T-Birds, the little two-seaters. But I remember the pad, too. It was like a little theater. Anyway, it'd be good to play in Tacoma again. Long time. And Rick, uh, Rich King from uh, Guitar Maniacs. Rick King. Yeah, that uh, jazz master Nels Kine plays uh, 59. That's where it came from. Via Jay Maskus and myself. And Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's you know Nels loves playing that and I'm glad to be part of it anyway we're at the end of the first hour of the Friday the 13th November 2015 edition of the Watt from Pedro show good people hold tight for hour two Friday the 13th 2015 November is the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show <laughs>
after we landed and started moving inland, there was these rumors, these stories of French women firing on our troops. I never saw one myself, but I was told there was this young woman who had had a German sweetheart. He'd gotten killed in the fighting. So she got up on a church tower and, and shot one of our guys with a Mauser. Then she was shot. I sometimes wonder about her. Wenn der Krieg ein träges Land entflammt, ist die Leidenschaft nicht fern. Die Granate treibt den Granatapfelbaum. Ach, kostbar ist der Traum, wo der Krieg durch brave Häuser geht. Bringt der Liebesglück statt Brot. Wer allein war und reich ist nun arm und gleich. Wie ein Regen nach der Trockenzeit kommt die Menschlichkeit zurück. Erst als Geist, dann als Glück, dann als krudes Geschick. Wer liebt?
out of trades, holding tight in a close embrace. Yeah, oh baby. For Pedro Show, start off the second hour with Dogface Hermans in a 1987 John Peel session doing Malcolm Plays Housey Housey. <laughs> and some brand new from Kim Baum and Kestner, Only the Living Can Love. And then X Blank X with You're Full of Shit. I think that's from 79. Uh, Cleveland. DJ. Soda Yama Primary Colors Remix from Kyoka. There might be some white bass in there. Some digital distortion for sure. <laughs> Good job, Miss Kyoka. Neto Milik with Osviesti. Say. Sorry for the bad slap, but I'm doing the bass there for sure. Now remember, that's for Neto. Neto Sato. He uh, put me in there good. Excellent video. Eastria workout camp. Uh, Shindiggers after that. Lost Cause live. Shindiggers. I didn't. Shindaggers. I'm sorry. They're like yucca plants when you're riding your motorcycles. Cat uh, in uh, Flagstaff from the Taff Falco Pantherburn tour. By the way, you can read the tour diary. It's up on the Hoot page. MikeWatt.com. Uh, yeah, they didn't get to play. They were supposed to play after us in Flagstaff there at the Monte Vista Hotel. That was a crime. That was injustice and a half. And I think they're breaking up, too. Bullshit. Four Data Suicides, brand new from Edge Bloor, her solo album. And finally, Tav Falco with Fire Island off command performance. This is one song we didn't do. We did do 25 songs. Uh, one day to prack him. Look, here, here, here's uh, part two of that Andy Moore, October 7th, 2015 interview I did with him via Skype. He was starting a tour. I was starting a tour. But it was the time we could talk, so here it is. Now, with Dogface Hermans, you guys started touring. Uh, first uh, there, and then you probably got on the continent. Yeah, yeah, we t- we toured... We toured in England, Scotland for a while, and then we, we the first time we went to Belgium, that was the first place we played in in uh, in Europe, in Belgium. We did four gigs with Art. Remember that band? Yeah, <laughs> they were funny. Yeah. And uh, and the the organizer, a guy called Alan Ball, probably you know him as well. Oh, <laughs> really no. great guy. He's been booking gigs for. He has a, a radio thing called Some Noise, and he he um gave us like 100 tickets and said, here, this is for you. And we were like, what's that for? And he goes, that's for beer. You can have, you just give one of those tickets at the bar and you get a beer. And for us, we came from, we come from England. <laughs> yeah. And it's like what Mark, Marky Smith says when all the English bands act like um, 
um, kids getting free milk or something en route to the loop. We couldn't believe it. We thought, what? We can get all this beer. We can get 100 beers. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Because in England, you have to pay for your beer, for your food at that time. Sure, like so, the US. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we, we, didn't, we also didn't know how strong Belgian beer was. So, of course, we got completely shit-faced okay. <laughs> after the gig. We were careful with that. Okay. But um, we were very naive, but it was great. And that's also, we also, um, not long after that, we met the ex. Um, in, actually, we met the ex in Sheffield. To, we saw them playing in Sheffield. And that was like, uh, that was like meeting your parallel brother from, from Holland. Like, really, it's like we didn't, we also hadn't been listening to their music and we'd never seen them live but we seem to be moving in this kind of parallel and I guess it's what you said you know we, we listen to the same records yeah because you know, uh, Minutemen used to get compared with the X too yeah yeah we have we had a sort of same musical route then in that sense yeah and the X loved, loved all these English bands as well so it makes sense that we, we would end up like pr producing something kind of similar did you guys ever come over here yeah, Dogface came over. We did two tours in America. Once we did a 49-day tour. We didn't make it to 53. Well, we did seven weeks in yeah. a circle around the States. So we played like Boot, Montana. and <laughs> Butte, yeah. Yeah, we played some great places. You know what a Butte is? A Butte is a kind of a, in, in Spanish you would say Mesa. A what? Uh, Ma oh, mesa say, table, yeah. right? But uh, yeah. it's like a big land that comes up. That's a Butte. Okay. Oh, yeah, because this is great. Maybe it's great from French, stuff. you know. Like, yeah. Because the French guys were kind of more in the uh, wilderness and stuff. Yeah. But Butte is it's one of the bigger towns in Montana, maybe 65,000. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I think it might be uh, might be the capital. Usually. Uh, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. usually play the college towns, so, so Missoula and Billings. Uh, so, but you get to see a lot of the country. Yeah, we and we played in Lincoln, Nebraska. And yeah, Kansas. that's their capital. You did a capitals tour. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and we traveled in a van. We we cooked our own food each night, and we slept in people's houses. I mean, yeah. that, that was that was that was really amazing. And then the second time we did a five week tour, and actually the last date of that tour was that was the last date of the band. It was in San Francisco, and we kind of stopped after that. Wow, like Sex Pistols. <laughs> Well, they hey, no, they broke up in San Francisco. Really? Well, we didn't break up there. We we we'd already planned it like a while ago. We didn't fall out or anything. Marion, the singer, wanted to. She's an artist, and she wanted to go back to England and do art. Okay. And um, Colin uh, just felt like he'd done what he wanted to do on the bass. Wilf just wanted to carry on forever, and still does. And I think he's really sad that we stopped. I think he felt like we took. We took this great thing away from him, and he's right. And but there's nothing we could do about that. It wasn't like, you know, that. You, that's the way it is. Yeah. I and um, and I joined the X, which was great. <laughs> okay. You know, now, how did that happen? Well, I was already because the dog face complicated. The dog face Hermes took a year off. Marion went already. She was starting to uh, get back into her art. She went to Poland for a year to do a residency. So we took a year sabbatical. And in that year, the ex invited what, me to what play year with them. Is that? So, what year is 19, that, Andy? 1990. Okay. So I went to uh, Holland really with the idea of playing with the ex for a year. And for me, that was amazing to be invited to play in your favorite band. Now, what happened? Was... They had a space open? 
No, yeah. not really. They were playing as a four-piece, and they 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 they, they knew how to play. They to play, and they just said, you know, come and play with us. We want the quintet now. We we want more guitars. Right, right, okay. No, I was wondering. You so you weren't like filling in a hole. You were like ex- helping the, the band expand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, making it louder. <laughs> Make it louder. <laughs> more and more messy. And this came. Uh, you knew these guys by playing with them. Yeah, we when they uh, yeah, came to Sheffield, and then you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, the the the, the uh, one of the guys from Chumbawamba. Oh um, yeah, Leeds guys. Yeah, he they introduced us to the X, and they said, "You guys, you, they're talking about you, and they're listening to your record." When we go to their house in Holland, you've got to get together with them. And we were really, you know, then you get really excited. You think, "Wow!" Because by then we knew who they were, and we really, really wanted to, to meet them and play with them. Okay. So it happened. You know, it didn't happen long after that. But then you got invited to join the band. Okay. And I, and I joined the band for a year, and then Dogfest Hermans uh, reformed after a year, but they, they relocated to Holland. Wow. Instead, instead of me going back to Scotland, they all came to, um, they all came to Holland, and, and we carried on for four or five years in Holland. And I sort of played... In both played, bands? Well... For a bit, I did, but that was kind of impossible. But at a certain point, the ex started playing with Tom Cora, the cello player. Sure, incredible, incredible yeah. musician, man. That 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 was a great loss to lose Tom. Yeah, yeah. He was and, he, he was amazing. I mean, yeah. I see special. some of these. You know, a friend of mine, Bob Teagan in Detroit. He's got a bunch of films of that. Uh, what was it? Skeleton. Uh, Skeleton crew. Crew with uh, yeah. Mr. Fr- Fred, Frith. Frith. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bass stuff with the drumstick and, yeah, the cello. And, I mean, the guy was amazing, amazing. Anyway, uh, so so you're involved in that, in that part of the X with Tom. Okay. Yeah. So, and that, so that was, you know, that wasn't, that, that happened once, once or twice a year. We did a tour with that. The rest of the time, the X did the four piece. So I could kind of operate in both bands and then once Dogface Herman stopped, then I just joined. Then I I just went over and joined the X full time. But I'd continued to be playing with them the whole time, so so it was a kind of natural uh, transition. But playing with Tom was was fantastic. He also brought us into a, a another area of music. He started getting us, you know, these gigs in these improvised music festivals. Oh yeah, avant garde. Yeah, yeah. Jazz festivals and stuff. Stuff that we, you know, we never ever. Had any connection with sort of like uh, what's his name, Lower East Side uh, Saxman John Zorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, at that time, John Zorn was playing a lot these festivals and draining the budgets of all these festivals. <laughs> you know, it, so we, uh, it was <laughs> sad. It, it was kind of burned out. It was uh, there wasn't a lot of future. I don't know. It, it seemed like a trough and. Uh, I, yeah, people should have been a little more careful with that, I think, looking back. But it's easy in hindsight to look back. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so, so yeah, all these influences on you. You know, I can hear it in your playing big time. There's a lot of stuff. You're a good listener, good yeah, interpreter. I mean, also with Dogface Hermes, we, we listen to also a lot of Greek music. You know this very old Rambetica music? No. Wow, that's a, really, that's a whole... Uh, Area you should dig into because you, you spell I think it? R E M B E T I K A. Okay, and it's it's music from 
I mean, the best it, it, it covers quite long periods from Greece, but the best period is twenties uh, and thirties. Are we talking bazooki? Yeah, it is played with the bazooki, but also with the guitar. And okay. actually, some of my favorite stuff is with a guitar rather than a bazooki. Okay. And it's Greek refugees who were living in uh, Turkey. Yeah. And they had to they had to come back to Greece at a certain point when it split. The the, the Christian Greeks had to go back to um, Greece, and the Muslim Greeks stayed in Izmir in Turkey. And they arrived in the port in near Athens. They were all of them were kind of on hash. Um, addicted to drugs they were it was kind of underground guys and they kind of went underground in in the port and started playing this amazing music okay wow with really incredible lyrics and incredible uh, i mean the, the songs are about tb like tuberculosis sure. prison um you know those kind of things kind of like so greek kind of, uh, greek blues <laughs> yeah basically and it's and it went on for the, the best stuff went on for about twenty years. It got cleaned up, and then you started getting virtuoso bazooki players, and it became a bit slick. And it became instrumental at a certain point because the words were too um, threatening. Right. And then you had this you had the Greek fascist government, which really cleaned it up. So by the time it resurfaced in the fifties, it it was beginning to sound touristy, and it ended up sounding like the Greek music you hear in the restaurants now. Okay. Yeah, that's what happened to flamenco too. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, but the uh, the it's origin all Disneylanded the, out. Yeah, but the or, the original music was very Turkish influenced, and it's dark, drony, beautiful songs. I mean, I, I'm not really into like miserable drony music, but I love this stuff, and it, and I don't I don't get depressed by it. It gives me an incredible energy. And we were listening to that from quite early on uh, when, with Dogface Sounds. We never really did any of that stuff in the band, but it really I think it really affected our our. But that, that it's what you're saying about if you listen to a lot of music from different areas. Yeah. It's, then when you make music, it's harder to define what, what your music is. It's not it's not one thing. It's like there are so many so many influences. Also, with all the different musicians you play with, it becomes a kind of it becomes a, a personal. The X sounds like the X. It doesn't sound like it's not it's does it's not anarcho punk or punk anymore. It's it's just X music. Yeah. Well. What else this idea you... about punk having to be a style, I never understood that. It, to us, it was always a state of mind. You know, we learned by going to gigs in Hollywood, some of them, band, I mean, some didn't even have guitars. Exactly, like yeah. screamers. Yeah. It was like anything. It's strange how that got, it got put in as, as a genre. Yeah. Instead of uh, more of a state of mind, you know, or a, a way of doing things. You know, at least... Yeah, jam an econo or something, but this idea where you have to play very fast guitar yeah. to be a, a punk band—that's ridiculous. Yes, in my in my opinion, for other people, whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so there comes a point when there's no more dog face Hermans, and you're just the next person. And I was exhausted. <laughs> and you were tired. Uh, where to go yeah. from there? To Mexico. Okay. <laughs> After Los Angeles, after San Francisco, after the band stopped, I just yeah. went down to Mexico for a couple of months and just had a break, which was really amazing. And wow. and I also collapsed a bit there. I also physically was just because I was doing too, I was touring too much with both bands. And right. then when I came back, I was really fresh and ready to to play again. So I started touring with I started playing with the X full time. 
And right. that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing for the last twenty years, actually. Twenty years, right? Yeah. And, and I, I do other projects with the other musicians as well. But I mean, the, the main thing that I do is still play with the X.
In my junior year of high school, I formed a band with a few girls called Born Naked. We agonized over band names, though clearly not for long enough, until our singer, Alexis, showed up with a naked picture of her mother when she was pregnant, and that was that. We made stickers, which felt more important than the music itself, and practiced at our drummer Rachel's house. Our amps were the size of shoeboxes. Most of our guy friends were in bands. We didn't take ourselves too seriously almost as a means of warding off any potential criticism. If we thought of Born Naked as a joke, then no one could make fun of us. We were in on it. We got it. Our signature song was one I'd penned called You Annoy Me. Sometimes I think I have barely moved on from that sentiment. So much of my intention with songs is to voice a continual dissatisfaction, or at least to claw my way out of it. The lyrics. Okay, what for Pedro show? Uh, you heard part two, part two three. Interview with Andy Moore, October seventh, two thousand fifteen. Is when that happened, a little more than a month ago. Then we heard the X. Right after, <laughs> when he started talking about playing with the X, isn't that? Uh, that's uh, yeah. Uh, Something I got together. <laughs> What's it called? A, a, a segue. Yeah. 
God, my mind, I'm still blurry, guys and gals. Maybe I was the pilot of the X. The Ballad of Bull Ramos Mountain Goats after that final rainforest. Morton Tears. Art down in New York there. Uh, Coyote versus Mole. Earthwarmer and some. Oh, yeah, the Mountain Goats. Like, yeah, Carlos, uh, after we did that wrestling spiel, thought I should know about that record. So it's got wrestling stuff or something. Um, too much elbow room from a whole hump. Finally, you annoy me by born naked. Uh, let's see. I got some gigs coming up with Second Man opening for X. Yeah, John Doe. Asked for 12 more gigs. You know, when we did the four in July in Orange County, I told Pizzo and Jerzo, I said, look, you get up on that stage quick and off quick and run your shit tight. And no fucking belly aching. You see what happens. And sure enough, you know, very kind of them. And I think Billy's going to be on board for these gigs too. So uh, we're doing a lot of prac. Uh, prac later today. The prac I got coming right up though is a Mr. Man one for tomorrow in uh, Tacoma, like I was uh, telling you about. And uh, Rich King's going to have guitars for me and Tom so we don't have to fly up from there. That's what I was told. Either that or we borrow some from the opening band. It's been the second hour of the 13th Friday, November 2015 edition of for Show. Hold tight for hour three. Friday the 13th, November 2015. It's the third hour of the Watford Pedro Show. <laughs>
Watford Pedro show. Start off the third hour with Giannis Kierkegaardis, Kierkegaardis, and Andy Moore with Dead B. Then the Kings of Lower Town. It's out of uh, Pembroke, right up in uh, Ontario. Grail of Sin. Zolar X, Beach Age Love. I remember you see Zolar X's pictures at Pink's in the uh, late 70s. That's when Dogs Johnny, a guy named Do- Johnny, was slinging them there. They're $1.25. Me, t- me and my pool clear friend Tone would drive all the way up from Pedro just to get their dogs. There was no lie. Uh, Barbez after that was Shima Coley. And finally, Apologies, a disgrace to modern science. Yes, out of uh, Geordietown, uh, Newcastle. Yeah, that's what's going on there inside their minds. Now, we got the last part of this uh, Andy Moore interview I did with him via Skype, October 7th, 2015. Uh, Very interesting cat. Uh, Check out his music. He has lots of projects. Let him speak for himself. And it's still fun. And how would you say it was different now, being in the X, than 20 years ago? Um, well, obviously yeah, you were brought in back then. Now you're kind of one of the pillars. Yeah, but that's a hard question to answer. That's almost It's almost the same as someone asking you, how are you different as a person than you were 20 years ago? Because it, it's, it's, so, it's happened so... Uh, slowly and incremental and it, it's it's not like the x we never made these big sort of leaps where we'd suddenly changed everything we did or or, or the way we did because we really liked the way we were doing things and it was working and and so the i think the x has evolved really slowly but um, i mean there was you know for example I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> no but for example like gsoc i mean so, some members came and left oh yeah yeah Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, basically, no. The the uh, from that point when I yeah. joined the X full time, Cat and Terry are still in the band. So the, the three of us have played together all, all those that twenty time. years, right? It's twenty. No, all together, it's twenty six years. Um, playing. Oh yeah, because because yeah, you were in both bands for a period. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, and then Luke left um, ten years ago. Right, Luke, but a couple years ago, you got a new guy, right? And then Yoss left, uh, no, that was actually, that was already six years ago. Wow, wow six years, wow. Because I remember at All Tomorrow's Parties, I think it was one of the first gigs with him. God, it was that uh, long ago, huh? Which, which All Tomorrow, we've been, we've been to a couple of them. The one that didn't yeah, I've happen. been to a bunch too. <laughs> I think this was one with uh, Godspeed, Ye Black Emperor. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, but, uh, that was about three years ago. Okay, so it's further than that, further back. So, uh, he's, he's been in the band since 2007 or eight, I think, something like that, yeah. So maybe so, yeah, it was that, uh, one of the ones with Stooges. Yeah, yeah. it was a Minehead one, maybe. Oh, yeah, that was great, Minehead. But I thought maybe he also was still in the band. I can't remember. I know, but, it's hard to remember. But, but anyway, the change in members, even though there hasn't been a lot of them, the band kind of changes up, right? Yeah, and also we, we we have projects with guests. We play with Ken Vandermark sometimes. Right, those cats from uh, East Africa. 
Yeah. Also, we play for we play with the uh, the Ethiopian music. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. All of all all of that. I always feel like that, that that's changing us, but I don't notice I don't notice it happening because it it we it doesn't happen. Uh, it's like you, you, you when you have a conversation with someone, you adjust to you adjust to their character, and you work together to make something work. Of course. And after you're probably changed by that, but it's not always something that's uh, evident or something. Probably when you look back, you notice it more. I mean, what, I, I saw a video that Jem Cohen made of us playing in New York from 1999. Yeah. And. We were jumping around like really full on, much much more than than we are now. But for me, the music we play now is more intense. So it feels to me like we put our energy more now into the intensity of the music and less to do with running around. And that's also, I guess, a bit to do with age. I'm sure. But it's it's not it's not only that. It's really it's to do with I guess it's just a gradual development that you you know I'm not um we we don't. We never uh, really sat down and um, had a strategy for that. It was really. Uh, what about like, your other col- uh, other collaborations, like with that uh, keyboard guy, that synthesizer guy? Um, uh, keyboard guy. Or, or synthesizer guy. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. What's his name? Uh, oh, just a moment. My. my uh, Mind. I, I, I think I, I think you guys did some recording for sure. You did uh, some gigs. Yanis, uh, Yanis, Kiriakidis. Yes. Oh, but that's not that wasn't with the X. No, no, that's just you and him. No, no, that's a, yeah, that's a project. I that's where we do this uh, Rembetica stuff. This okay, because it sounds like his name is kind of Greek, right? Yeah. yeah. That's it. He, he was the first guy I met in, in Holland who knew about that music. Okay. And actually, we started playing together because of that. He's, a, he's actually a classical composer. He's, he really writes music. And, but the project that he does with me, I think he, he also does it to, to get away from a bit, to get away from that whole... Um, I mean, he, I think he loves doing that in that world, but I think he likes also to be able to do something more spontaneous and free on stage. And that's what we do together, like... And I think for him, it's a for me, it's a, a really a challenge because it's hard work to 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 uh, work with this. Um, also, I'm playing along with the machine, which is not easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's he's very responsive, and he's very he's he's not just playing loops and uh, simple beats. He's a uh, he's actually really working with me and and changing and re- reacting. So it actually works. That's not easy to do. Do you got a lot of collaborations like that going? Uh, I have that one, and I have one with a French sound poet called Anne James Chaton, and he's a uh, he's amazing. I have to send you a, um, a link of him. He does. He, he, it's I can't. It take me ages to. We 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 played last night in Lille. We did like thirteen pieces. We played Whoa. for about an hour, ten minutes. It was great. And he has he has great, each song is a really strong idea, and he reads uh, he just reads in a very low monotone voice, and I make um, a mixture of. A sort of backing track of sounds and rhythms, and then I play guitar on top of it as well, live. Live. Well, what That's about the, this? Uh, the, I saw a collaboration, or I heard it, <laughs> with a DJ. <laughs> DJ Rupcha. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. He's from uh, Brooklyn. Okay. He's a good. He's great. He uh, he hasn't been playing recently. He's writing a book, but he he had a period in the in the sort of. 2007s, whatever you call those, the 10s, the 2010s, 
and he was uh, playing with three turntables and really playing like three different songs at the same time and mixing them so that they became something else and it wasn't and it wasn't a mess it worked really great um, and he, he, really, he, was, he was part of that sort of break core scene that happened at that time so your collaborations you're not looking like further uh, bass and drummers uh, rhythm sections you like these guys that are far from like the rock and roll band kind of thing yeah but no that, that, that's really happened by uh chance that i've ended up playing with those three not on purpose okay yeah yeah so, i mean i mean it is it's purposeful it is purposeful but uh, it was because i heard them and thought wow this is great i want to try and play with that right you know and it's true sometimes you see um a, no a but that's band. happening that's the best reason yeah yeah that's yeah not be convoluted I, I have a project with me and terry and ken vandermark you know ken's coming with us on this trip um ah. to the to the states ken vandermark okay. i have a, we have a quartet also me terry ken and Paul Nielsen Love, who's this incredible Norwegian drummer, who sounds like about five drummers playing at the same time. <laughs> and that's that's really that's we don't plan it. Billy Cobham. <laughs> yeah, he's really he's really into him and and um, Elvin Jones. I saw oh I saw Elvin many many times. Raymond Pettibone <laughs> really? would bring me oh yeah because he lived in Nagasaki so he would always stop here first. But I got to see Billy Cobham with the Mahavishnu Orchestra once when I was a teenager. I think you'd really like uh, Paul Nielsen Love's drumming. It's wow. like. Well, you've got to turn me on to some of that music. What, what are your plans for the future after this tour? Um, to look after my son. Okay. <laughs> He's two. <laughs> He's only two years old. Yeah, wow. I started like. Um, I. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've never had plans for the future. I, I, I didn't know I was going to join the X, and I didn't know I was going to stay in the X for 26 years. I, 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 I want to keep playing music, and uh, I'll keep finding um, ways to do that. But it's not, uh, it's not like I, I, I have big strategies. I, okay. I follow my, uh, I follow my instinct. I think the X works like that as well. well that's we quite can... all right. You know, I just asked that because yeah, no, it's I'm fine. Curious. <laughs> And we but it's live, all right, we that, you know, steady as she goes, as we say, you know. Yeah, uh, and look, I ask everybody this on the show. Sorry? I, I ask everybody this at the end that okay. I have on the show. What would what, your advice be to somebody just getting into this endeavor? Of music. If you want to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the main thing is is just play. Don't. Like what we were talking about earlier, don't don't try and play some kind of style of music that already exists, and don't define yourself as a punk band or a, a hardcore band. Just get together with a group of musicians. You're all different people, and play music together, and let it happen a bit without sort of sort of forcing some kind of um, shape or style on it just develop your own style and your own character because if you think of all the bands that we like we like bands that sound different we like bands that's that have personality and, and sort of character in there it's nothing to do with um virtuosity and of course you have to be able to put two chords together but even now i'm not convinced to do. i don't know tvi has one chord yeah, exactly. I, I like music. I don't care if it's if it's not well played. I, ca I care I care more about the character of the uh, of the sound, and that's and I think the Fall were the first band that really 
blew my brain with that because I could not believe how clumsy they were and how much I liked it. And I just thought, this is this is a, this is different music from all this other music I've been listening to. And um, I don't know how bands, you know, that when they start together, they must also feel overwhelmed by the fact that there's 57 million bands and they're all getting on Spotify and all trying to get attention. So I can imagine it's quite a daunting thing. I mean, we started at, at a time when none of that existed. So we have a bit of a identity and a bit of a place in all of this, but it must be hard for all, all these musicians. Now. But might be hard, but I think it's worth it there, Andy. Totally. And they've just got to be into it. There's no, I mean, it depends on your motive of why you're playing in a band. Right. People have many different reasons. Well, I think what you're saying is really good stuff, and I can learn from it. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank <laughs> no, you very much, too, for being on the show. And I want to wish you good luck and safe thank seas you. on your upcoming tour.
Watch for Pedro show. There you have it, the third and final part of uh, October 7, 2015 interview between myself and Andy Moore. Uh, Andy Moore info, obviously with the X, you could go to the internet, www.thex.nl. That's uh, X's website. You know, over 20 years, Andy's been with him. You know, I just got to do a spiel with V Vale. Uh, the last, uh, after the last gig of this Tau Falco uh, tour up in San Francisco, and the same thing, talking with that man. It was like, no doubt in my mind, why me and D Boone got involved with the movement. People like this, just uh, incredible and profound influence on us. People like Raymond Pettibone and of course, all the bands in the old days that we saw, like Bags and X and Germs and Dills, Alley Cats, to ones we uh, played with, like Black Flag and Meat Pups and Husker Du and Sacred Trust, uh, to ones we only knew from records like Pop Group and Wire and Alternative Television, The Fall, Richard Hell, and The Voidoids. I remember putting a picture of Richard Hill on my face. Anyway, let me tell you about the music after uh, Andy. We heard the thing. I mean, this thing by American Werewolf Academy. Got to play with them in Dallas. That's the Three Links. Great club in Deep Elm there. Uh, St. Peter's Bones intro, a rough mix from Labor Camp. Yeah, that's um, Kurt doing uh, new stuff with Paul. Okay, brother. And then Ava Mendoza, Feral Twin. Incredible guitarist, Ava Mendoza. Much respect. And Mr. Napster, two backs, uh, Italian Cats. Part of that jazz core thing. Mr. Napster, that sounds like an acronym, huh? No, not acronym. Uh, it's over. Something from anachronism. <laughs> I'm stupid. Anyway, I want to thank Andy Moore for being on the show. Even though that was uh, yeah six weeks ago. I hope his tour was good. I had an incredible uh, experience. Like I said, you can read about it on the Hoot page. Uh, looking forward to playing with my own trios, though. Second Man and Missing Man coming up to finish up 2015. 2016 for what? I got to get four albums done. So no touring in the spring for me. Just I wish I could, but time won't let me. Uh, you've been listening to Friday 13th edition of November 2052, uh, 2015 Law from Pedro Show. Fucking it up. Be with Brother Matt next time. Everybody, keep your powder dry. <laughs>